0: I'm Amy, and you're listening to the Creativity Matters Podcast. Today on the Creativity Matters Podcast, pick and choose illustrated journaling, documentation, and a couple of books about Japan. Here we go. You're listening to the CMP, a Creativity Matters Podcast. Stories of creative journey and a reminder that creativity matters in whatever form it takes for you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Creativity Matters podcast. I'm Amy, and this is episode 451. Pick one thing. Just one thing. So how are you? How are you? It is almost September. Means summer is sort of almost over. I saw a headline this morning saying, are you ready for fire season? And I had to stop and puzzle about it for a minute. And a bunch of the commenters said the same thing because I thought we were already in it. And if we are not technically already in it, it's definitely quite scary. I am in a weird space. Maybe you're in a weird space. Maybe you're in an awesome space. I hope you're in an awesome space an awesome headspace. I'm in a weird headspace. Eh. When the groceries arrived the other day, I didn't realize that the delivery was finished at first because I only heard the delivery person once. And it should have taken several trips up the stairs to drop everything off. So after a year plus of doing this, you know what you're listening for, you wait until it's all finished and then you open your door and you are met with the you know mountain of bags that you need to carry in. But I only heard this person one time and I thought, huh. So I waited and then of course it had to be done. So I went to the front of the house and I checked out the window and there were no cars. So I went back, I opened the door. The delivery person had cleverly stacked my groceries all the way down the stairs. So instead of everything being on the small landing in front of the door, where it all should be, there were one or two things all the way down to the bottom. Clever? Not really. Although I think the person probably thought he or she had been quite clever. I think this person probably thought this is such a. An- artistic and creative way to do this. I also think this person might've thought, this is such an easy way out of doing this. There aren't that many stairs. It's like eight or something. Not so clever on my part. When asked to choose from a happy or sad face to express my experience with the delivery, I clicked sad just to see what my options were because I was really frustrated by this delivery. And although there were several categories of things that I could choose to provide feedback on the actual delivery, things that might have been wrong, that might have led me to choose the sad face, there was absolutely nothing that matched up. Nothing that made sense in terms of my groceries were left in a line up the stairs. There was nothing that made sense. I went to the doctor for a checkup one in which ultimately, I felt so very much just like another cog in a wheel of someone's day that I just can't even let this go. But I thought a lot about the pre-screening question. You're probably familiar with it. It happens, I guess, anytime you go to the doctor for an annual visit. Something like, in the last week, have you not wanted to do the things you normally do? I think the question is more complex than that a little bit. And of course, it's delivered by the nurse who takes your blood pressure and weighs you. Basically, they just want a yes or no answer. A happy or a sad face. And I won't even say they actually are looking at your face when you give your yes or no answer because your face may or may not match your yes or no answer. It's not a, well, maybe question. It's not a question for those of us who are iffy with our answers, who are not always yes or no, who have trouble being pinned down in that way. If you say no, well, then everything must just be hunky-dory. We'll see you next year. And there won't be any questions that dig a bit to make sure you are okay to make sure you're really okay. But were you okay enough not to say the other answer? It's a spectrum, and yet it's a question that doesn't allow a spectrum. It's a yes or no question. Cog in the wheel. Was the delivery good or not? So I'm in a weird headspace. Traffic for the school drop-off is so bad this year. It is mind-numbingly or head-bangingly bad. I can't even wrap my head around why it's so bad. It's less than three miles, and it is this bad. But being forced to do that twice a day has given me the chance to start listening to books on tape again in the car, in the the in-the-car way, which is different than the listening I did last year at night when I would draw, I'd turn the TV off, turn a book on. I did that a good bit last year, but I'm back in the the in-the-car way. And when I can't focus on what's going on, what I've got playing at the time, which happens, I have played, I think, one or two chapters of my current book, several times now because I keep thinking, wait, I must have missed something, must have zoned out. But when I can't focus and I'm aware of that, I switch over to what should I read next? That is definitely my comfort food of listening podcast, for sure. But the quiet remains overwhelming so quiet that I hear this crackling when I breathe, which of course I was unable to describe in any way that made sense. This quiet remains overwhelming. I saw an interesting thread with a popular social media person talking about being so glad as an introvert that her kids were finally back in school and that the house was empty. And of course, hundreds and hundreds of people were on the Me Too side of that. But I somehow don't like the silence that way. I don't know. Maybe it's that you n- never like what you really have. I don't know. But there is silence compounded by miles. And there is silence that can be misinterpreted. Silence that doesn't mean what you think, but you can't stop thinking it means what you think. There is silence within the same space. There is silence when things are empty. There are awkward silences. There are lonely silences, ear ringing silences, heavy ones and uncomfortable ones and peaceful ones too. There is a big pen show this weekend and I am missing it. When you hear this, I will have already missed it. And I really wanted to go. I really wanted to go. There are a few pens that I really want to try in person because I want to better understand what people say about them, how people describe the writing experience with these pens. But this pen show, while here, is not right across the street. It's not even right around the corner. It's not even technically in the city. If it was right across the street or right around the corner or at the library or somewhere I could go and just easily park, maybe, probably would have been a lot more doable, a lot more possible, but it's not. And I've seen a bunch of pictures now. I know it's really a trade show of sorts. It's probably not really my thing. It's probably not really my thing. Remember, I'm not the in-person person. Other than really wanting to try those pens in person, it's just probably not my thing. There is supposed to be an ink testing room though, and that sounded really fun. I would really have liked to have done that. But see, this rational, a part of me also keeps saying, well, you know, you could save the drive, which saves quite a bit actually, and save the admission and save the parking and just order something. I know I'm going to regret not going. I really wanted to go, but you know, maybe this is just not the year. Putting myself in a large room with hundreds of people, hundreds of masked people, but yeah, maybe it's not really the right thing. So at this point, I am recording my way through the time when I would otherwise have been on the way there. So probably that means definitely that means I didn't go. It only comes around once a year and I am, I'm sad to not be going. It's just one of these things in a long line of things that I think, oh, I'm going to do that. This time I'm going to do it. This time I'm going to do that. And I just don't do it. And on this side of the pandemic, I'm even less likely to go anywhere than I ever was before. But I did get to walk into a library last week. Yes, I timed my pickup just right Take back some books. One of the days I tried that and it ended up being the day it was closed. And I didn't know it was open. The doors might be open. But on this day, I tried again and I timed it out. And I got there and the doors were actually open. I didn't even expect that. I expected just to pick up at the outside pickup table the way I have for so many months. But it was open. So I went in. I had a bunch of books on hold. I was able to walk in the doors to the hold shelves to gather my stack of reserves. There was a table in the front that was full of little bundles. And it was so interesting and yet puzzling. These bundles were individual stacks of books, brand new books from the looks of it. Pretty much everything looked so new, but brand new books, little stacks that were tied up in towers like little gift packages. They were tied up with some kind of string, you know, and knotted at the top. And it felt like the William sonoma of books somehow at the library, which was just, took you a minute to think, wait, what? And each one had a little tag saying who it was for, what kind of reader it was for. If you're interested in this, check out this stack of books. If you're interested in this, here is a stack of books you might enjoy. The one that caught my eye was A Tower of Memoirs you couldn't unpack these stacks, though, to see the books individually or to read the back cover. Really, you could just see the title of each book in the stack. And then your option was to just check out the stack. And there was a barcode that would allow you to just scan it, and it would check out the whole stack to you. Such an interesting idea. Really, really cool. And yet, at the same time, not being able to look at the individual books felt so strange. It was really intriguing. I thought it was really neat and really clever. And someone brought some really new creative idea to book curation at the library. Interesting. There were also paper bags that were DVD grab bags. So again, you just check out a bag not knowing what's in it. Such an interesting idea. Now these ideas would have seemed incredibly cool to me, I think, during the pandemic, if you had just said, okay, I'll take a book stack and a DVD bag, a grab bag, and you head home. That's kind of cool, kind of interesting. I didn't check out the book stack. I had this bunch of things on reserve, so I knew I already had an arm full. Even so, I did wander my way around. That's not my normal library, but it is one that I enjoy. And I wandered my way around back to where I knew the graphic novels were and did some browsing there and they had so many new things. They had a new checkout kiosk. Everything looked brand spanking new. It was so dazzling and bright. And I was just so glad to actually be able to walk into the library. I haven't been to my own library, the one that's really close to me yet. I think it was supposed to have opened by now too, so maybe it has. I will have to check it out. At some point, I guess I probably should switch my reserves location back, but the other one's easy to park at. Yeah, it really is. Plus it has a beautiful little neighborhood that sometimes I just walk around the block a few times. I am trying ukulele again. I never stopped being enamored, but I did stop really, really, really working at it. And so I'm trying again. I am going to have to work up to my calluses again. I feel like I will never really be able to play anything other than just random chords. And on the one hand, that's okay because I find it really, really satisfying. But on the other hand, you can't ever really play songs and you can't go with other people in any way. So I'm trying again. I went right back to the same YouTube series that I had enjoyed before. And I've used lots and lots of YouTubers and I follow and am enchanted by many people on Instagram. But there is this one guy, and I really like his vibe. He's so chill, and I just really, really like him. So I figure, what can it hurt? I'm going to walk every day with this one person, and I'm going to play ukulele every day with this other person. And all I guess I need is to find somebody who actually wants to draw with me, even occasionally. So anyway, I am doing ukulele again. I'm really happy about it. I really just love it. It's one of my favorite things. And just to play a couple of chords, it always makes me happy, but I'd like to do more. I don't know. I don't know why I decided to tell you that. I'm really just talking, just talking. This time of year, it does though have restarts. And maybe even if you're not in a back to school frame of mind, and there is no back to school in your life. Maybe you do find that you cycle at this time of year, and you rekindle or restart or recommit to something. And you know that there are just a few more months in the year, and you're going to wind down and then start all over again, refreshed in January. But there maybe is something in the air right now about recommitting, thinking, okay, I have sort of fell off of doing this or that, and I want to try again, or I need to do this or that, and I'm going to try again. And then some days it's a mind game. It's a mental game. You think, I really, really want to do this thing that I know I'm not supposed to or shouldn't. And it's a small victory if you choose something else. But then you have to face that same moment the next day and the next and the next. Habit building is ongoing. It is not something that you ever really reach your cruising altitude and can just let go, I think. And... So I've got a couple of things, a couple of things lined up. And I think, okay, I did this, this, and this today. I feel like we're coming out of some kind of cocoon, cocoon mode, maybe. And we got to get back on track with certain things. We have had a couple of unexpectedly hot days. It's really hot today. I've been watching and knowing that it was almost exactly a year ago that we were in quarantine for COVID in my house, and that someone was in the hospital for COVID in my house. And that was a very long span of weeks. Almost exactly a year ago, a long hospital stay, there was a day of orange sky and no sun. Those really, really hot days were part of the quarantine experience for us. It was, oh, and it's been almost a year. And just a year, only a year. And yet, three grown people all had trouble sorting out the dates recently. We were talking about it and the timeline, nobody agreed. Nobody remembered it the same. When did this happen? What were the actual dates? You gotta hate it when really concrete things, things that have really concrete answers and are not that far in the past, cause so much disagreement and confusion. Sometimes in the way we record, we just lose the concrete edges. What day did this actually happen? Why is that day not in my calendar? Our illustrated journals, whether they are of travel or places or nature, your hikes, your parenting, just the life you lead within your four square walls, they are always pick and choose. They are always a little bit of this and a little bit of that. They are always a little bit of a mishmash. They are always a little bit ad hoc. We can never get it all back down. It takes living to live it. We can never record it all. Nobody wants to have a full-time, part-time job recording the rest of your day. Pick and choose. I have found myself looking as I drive around these days, And wondering about what you would record if you were in the same space, traveling the same footpath or network of roads, and you decided to sit down at the end of the day and draw something. Last show, when I talked about that big ongoing brain dump kind of list of all the things that are happening, not things you'd like to do. The other kind of brain dump, the actual, this is life unfolding, and one of those scroll like pieces of paper that just goes on and on and on. But the other way, you're rolling it up and up and up as you continue to record on this infinite piece of paper. Yes, I was talking about it about fodder, that if you record all those things, you give yourself fodder. And if you take pictures of those things, you give yourself the visual fodder that you might need if you're like me. But I think I forgot to sort of tease it all out. Part of why I was thinking about it is because of the other meaning of it, the other meaning of that list and the why of it, the arguably more important part, the fact that in picking and choosing, we have to leave things out and the brain dump list gets to hold at least the kernels, the tiny shards or fragments, whatever we put down there, this happened or this happened or I saw this, I heard this, there was this comment, I felt this, I broke this. I did this. I went here or went there. All those fragments that get recorded in whatever shorthand you use, they're at least there. But when you turn to your journal or your visual journal or your illustrated journal, you're going to pick and choose. And I think ultimately, I don't know that when it comes to illustrated journaling that I'm always that good at choosing to record the most important thing. It's not that I don't know what the most important thing is, or even what the thing I care about most is, but I'm always a little bit constrained by what it is that I can visually record. What I choose to record relates to what I can draw or what I want to draw or what I have a picture of. So the most important thing, the elephant in the day, or the coyote, or the funny moment waiting for a door to magically open might not get drawn, partly because I don't know how to draw it. The funny comment that a kid made or the story from a class or the frustration about this or that might not make it in. It might if you're just keeping a written journal, or if you just do morning pages, or you just do nighttime wrap-up. But if you're keeping an art journal of some form, an illustrated journal, or doing hashtag illustrate your week. The simple fact is that what might have been most important might not be there. Now, I encourage you to find a way to include at least some of those details, even if it's just written form. And you can do that in a variety of creative ways and still make it an integrated part of your journal in and around drawings. So I hope that you do that, but you still don't get everything in. What you create is still a beautiful and rich record, but it might be missing something day to day. It might be missing something concrete or something important. It might be missing the reason that you feel a certain way. You might not even realize at the time that those important things never get included. It might just happen. You sit down, you pick and choose. You're ticking off the box for your daily creative habit, for your art habit, for your daily drawing for your illustrated journal, but all this other stuff might be going on in your head or around you or in the day. Those of us who journal are always playing this game of catch up anyway. Life unfolds. We're constantly in the margins trying to record things in a way that is both meaningful and beautiful. If beauty is your thing, it's important to me. It is important to me. It's part of what I think about. And of course, my beauty is not necessarily your beauty. We each have our own approach, our own aesthetic. And in our journals, it's totally, totally our choice. So that kind of list, it helps you get the bare bones things down. If there is any list I think I really need to make and get better at keeping, it is that one. I need that to be part of my daily productivity checkpoints where I just log life. I list one, two, three, enter, bullet, 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 enter. So there is this catch 22 about selecting what we draw or record. By combining our visuals and our words, we might not end up with the most salient of records. But even if we were just going to record a drawing a day, one drawing every day, what would we choose? And that used to be my approach to the illustrated journal When I was doing it graphic novel style completely, it was one thing a day. That was my goal. Record one thing a day, one box. And definitely then I probably wasn't getting the most important thing I was trying. But again, I needed something I could draw. So if you choose one, what would it be? And if we were in the same space and presented with the same unfolding of life, what would we choose? Would you pick this house or that one? or that dog or that scooter or that pot of flowers? Would you make a map? Would you capture that vista? Would you draw the chair or the room or the ukulele or out the window, the tree? Would you choose the tree that's falling over, the one that's sliding down the hill? Or would you choose that tree or that one? Would you choose that bird? Would you draw the students gathered on the corners for the school down the street? Would you draw the man who stopped me to warn me that his catalytic converter was stolen two nights ago? Would you draw the neighbor who's moving back in? Would you draw the U haul truck? Would you draw the futon or the couch or the tree that is sliding down the hill? Again, the tree that is sliding down the hill. Would you draw the house across the street? Would you annotate it? What would you note? Would you note that you're worried about this person or that, and that you haven't seen this person or that, and that you're intrinsically the kind of person that worries about the fact that you haven't seen this person or that, and yet you also don't even know this person or that? If we choose to draw the same house, we will still both draw it differently. You might zoom in or out. You might choose this angle or that. You might do black and white or watercolor or gouache. Your line might be very formal, And flat or very rounded and whimsical. You might do ink on top of color or ink details on top of color or some combination of mediums that is uniquely you. You might think it's the best to do it in three minutes or in five or without pencil or with pencil or in an hour or halfway, fill in some and not the other we all do it differently. If we give ourselves a box, a viewfinder of sorts, we hold it up to the world and then draw just what we see in that. What lines would we record? What lines would we each record in the same place at the same moment? What shapes? What patterns? What if the viewfinder was bigger or smaller or not square? The simple fact is that we all pick and choose. Different things jump out at us. We like different things. Our aesthetics are different. Our approach is different. In looking at a set of travel sketchbooks recently, I thought a lot about this because they were about the same place and yet they were so very different. Not only different in just style and aesthetic, though that was a big part of it. Big part of it. Their styles are very different and their approach was very different. But there was more to it than that. It was Also, the pick and choose was different. What each artist chose to pick and choose to include in an illustrated journal about a place was very different. And I found that just really interesting to really think about how it's true in all of art and in everything that we do. But when you're looking at these books side by side, you think, wow, they are so different. And for that reason, one will probably strike you more than the other. You're going to feel all simpatico with one, maybe more than the other. I did. In the years of doing the CMP, this show, I have reviewed a number of travel diaries and sketchbooks from Japan. Some really good ones, some really memorable ones, each with a different approach and a different style, a different aesthetic one very minimal in its approach always stands out to me. Those books are some of my favorite illustrated journals. They really are. And I was surprised recently to find three at the library that I had not looked at before, all three about Japan. And in looking at them, they're all totally different, totally different than the ones that I've looked at before. And as I looked at them, I felt the differences in the approach The pick and choose and really clear differences in the audience. You could just feel it. You could feel that you might not necessarily be the audience for this person's account. One of them was told completely in cartoon style. And you're going to be surprised, but I'm not going to talk about that one today. The other two were very much illustrated journals, they were illustrated sketchbooks or illustrated travel diaries. They were both very interesting for different reasons. I felt like I learned a lot from looking at both of them. Taken alone, they're individually both great to look through. Having them side by side and flipping back and forth, the styles are just wildly different. The approach each artist took was so very different. The view of Japan that you walk away with, so very different. So these two are... The first one is Tokyo on foot travels in the city's most colorful neighborhoods. And I'm not sure how you say his name, but it's Florent Chavoy. If I got that wrong, I'm sorry. And on the cover of that one, it has a summary line that says a graphic memoir and sketchbook with hand-drawn maps. And really, that's exactly it. The other book is Tokyo Travel Sketchbook. And the summary line on the cover says, Kawaii Culture, Wabi Sabi Design, Female Samurais, and Other Obsessions by Amaya Arizola. Now, I will link both of those in the show notes. You can go look them up at Amazon and then you can find them at your library and check them out. I am going to talk mostly about Tokyo on foot. I really loved it. But you might want to look at them both, especially if you're super interested in Japan, but you might want to look at them both because you might like one or the other better for your own reasons. Seeing both of these books made me stop and really think about how differently we might portray the same place, the same scene, the same street, the same moment. My view of the city is not the same as yours, even if we're in the same exact place. When a group of sketchers meet on the weekend, at a certain spot, and they plan to draw for a few hours and then meet up to show their work, they will all choose something different. Something different's going to jump out at each person, and even if they happen to choose the same landmark, if they all choose the windmill, same house, the same person, the same flower or bird or chair, they're still all going to look different. Styles are different, perspective is different. The angle on the scene might be slightly different approaches to color and line and form are different. This is a wonderful thing about how we draw, how we record. Toki on foot is gorgeous. Personally, I was just so taken with the style. I mean, it's really gorgeous. If that style really resonates with you. And for me, I just, I absolutely love it. I can flip it open anywhere and just be amazed at the work and wish somehow that I was doing anything that would lead me to doing that kind of work. Something that even approximates that kind of urban sketching. It's beautiful. So I loved it. There's this wonderful rounded quality to it. And I say that often about certain works that I come across. It's this hard to explain thing. There's something really, really beautiful and alive about these drawings. From the book jacket, quote, Florent, a young graphic artist spent six months exploring Tokyo while his girlfriend interned at a company there. Each day he would set forth with a pouch full of colored pencils and a sketch pad and visit different neighborhoods, end quote. And that's really interesting about the colored pencils. I actually had wondered that as I was looking through it, there were places where there are colored pencils and it was clear, but I wasn't sure if that was the only medium. That's an interesting thing. I didn't notice that. Anyway, the book is organized by neighborhood. And with the local police station being the focal and introductory point for each neighborhood or for each section or chapter, these stations called the Koban, believe, I hope that's right, the Koban, they vary from neighborhood to neighborhood. They're each really different on the outside. They seem to be really a part of the characteristic or vibe of each neighborhood. The illustrations are stunning, and then in each neighborhood the artist has included a hand-drawn map. <laughs> oh my goodness, you know I love maps. And these are absolutely gorgeous. I spent time just marveling at these maps. You just you just want to look at these maps. They're just so cool. In the intro, he writes, quote, the Tokyo depicted here is strongly colored by my day to day experiences, as well as my moods. And I apologize in advance if it doesn't correspond to the real thing. My take is but one of many visions of the city that travelers can turn to, quote. That's exactly it the book is full of urban sketches and illustrations, interiors, exteriors, foods, people, buildings, billboards. There is a lot of annotation that's very, very central to his style, which I love that part of it. So whatever drawing you see, an interior, for example, is all annotated with little arrows here and there. And he's got just this amazing, really tiny, but really clear handwriting and lettering. The foods are annotated and labeled. It's just really, really a wonderful record. There are comparisons of people. They're labeled sociology. For example, there's a diagram of a strict salary man versus a cool salaryman. And those are just really interesting to see and look at always, but they're really well done. There are lots and lots of interiors and lots of buildings, lots of color. There's lots of stuff. Some pages have just a focal illustration, but a lot of them have lots of things sort of fitted in layering, lush experience of the place. There are some cartoon style bits and moments. There are little stories about what's happening or what he's done or who he's talked to or how he had to perch while sketching and who came to see. There's often the sense of, well, I didn't know what this was or what that was or what was being said. There are quirky inclusions like an illustration of the camp chair that he used for sketching, the bike that he used to get around, There are numerous illustrations of the tools he was using, pens, pencils, colored pencils, pencil sharpener, things like that. I really loved this book. And he has another, he has a couple, but he has another that is also set in Japan. And I just picked that one up from the library. So I'm looking forward to looking through that one as well. About the maps, he writes in his intro, quote, Hand-drawn maps that are admittedly quite personal in their details introduce the neighborhoods and on them, I've marked the chapter's illustrations. And that's really cool. I didn't notice that the first few times I flipped through this actually, but these beautiful illustrated maps also include a page number notation that corresponds to the book of the illustrations that are in the section. So in the neighborhood, you're looking at the map and you can reference then When you're looking at a drawing, you can flip back to the map and say, oh, this is where that took place or where it's from. You can see these things in context in the neighborhood. It's fairly interesting. The table of contents itself is a map. And I will admit these maps really had me thinking again about how you make maps like this. So eh, you might be hearing more about that again maps keep coming up in these shows over the years. The shows all go away. You don't remember I've ever talked about maps before. So I'm not going to go back and repeat a history of map musing, but there probably will be some maps because these really, really intrigued me. So both of these illustrated travelogues are worth checking out the circumstances of the two books are different. The second one involved Amaya being in Tokyo for a month long residency. And part of that involved a sketch a day, I think, but a great deal of that book was then produced later. So you get the sense then that a book was created around those drawings, a lot of history thrown in a lot of explanation of culture and place and community it reads very differently. It reads very differently. It's full of illustration and detail though. It's really wonderful to look at, but it focuses in also on different things. I will say that it definitely is one that probably comes with a warning that it might not be for kids. I totally enjoyed it. I really enjoyed reading through it. I feel like I learned a lot, got a lot of insight that I didn't have, things I didn't know, but I just really, really was drawn to the style of Tokyo on foot. Definitely, you should check them both out. I am the art. The art is me. And that is it for episode 451. A long show today. A lot of this and that. A lot of pick and choose. We are moving into September and I had hoped maybe I would be able to work with some people, but I guess it just isn't going to happen. So, I hope you have things lined up for September and that you are enjoying the things that you are doing, the groups that you are working with and the people that you are making art with. So I am Amy. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here for the CMP. You can reach me at creativitymatterspodcast at gmail.com. The show notes are on the creativitymatterspodcast.com website. The music I play is courtesy of Nikolai Hydlis. Thank you to those of you who support the show in any way, including Kofi donations, Amazon wish list things like a bottle of ink, or just starting your shopping from the site. And especially to those of you at Patreon, patreon.com slash creativity matters. Until next time, remember that creativity matters in whatever form it takes for you. And don't forget to breathe. Have a good week, everyone.